This is an ABC podcast. So when was the first time that you were actually bitten by a snake? Uh, probably 63 years ago when I was a 10-year-old boy. I spent three days in a coma when I was 15 after snake bite. But um, as I get older, I get bitten less, so I must be learning. <laughs> Hello, Ann Jones here. In this last year of Off Track, we've played a lot of your nature stories. Stories that you recorded and, and sent to us. Stories with beautiful sounds and stories of when things go wrong in the bush. Because who doesn't love a yarn about when you're really, really stuffed up? You can find the Off-Track Incident Reports at abc.net.au slash off-track. But now, the story that kicked it all off, for me anyway, about a fellow who was out by himself in the desert and he got bitten by a mulga snake. And he was alone. And mid-last year, I finally got this bloke on the phone. Oh, no worries. Yeah, you're a lot louder and clearer now too. Yep. He laughs a lot. <laughs> and he tells a good yarn. I've had a couple of out-of-body experiences. And he's a snake bloke. And yep, this is his real name. Yeah, my name is Brian Bush. My work involves um, educating people on management of venomous animals in the workplace. So for the last 33 years, I've been running around remote sites training people to catch particularly the uh, venomous snakes which are common around um, camp environments and and workplace environments and need to be managed by being moved from the area because environmental management of the mine site precludes people from knocking them on the head and um, I'm a herpetologist for hire. He's one of the winners from the mining boom in a way with that huge amount of work that's going on in Western Australia. I travel with a vehicle full of animals and my swag and everything. I won't stay in a donga, which is the, the mine site camp, because the high temperatures in Australia are such that most of our snake activity, especially in places like the Pilbara, occurs at night. From a safety perspective, if you stay in camp, you cannot leave at night time because of livestock and that, and they're worried about accidents, and um, it's an <laughs> occupational hazard. And I am an old bloke, you know, well, I'm 73 next month, but I just like being out there by myself. And like almost every herpetologist I've ever met, Brian cannot help himself. He wants to be out when the snakes are out, in the evenings. So he goes and camps alone with his snakes. And like almost every herpetologist I've ever met, Brian cannot help himself on another account. I just can't help myself. Getting the perfect picture. And the only way to get photographs of these animals from a publication perspective for the diagnostics is to handle them. I was 250 kilometres south of Port Hedland in the middle of nowhere... My accident occurred, the most recent one, was uh, photographing a common mulga snake, which most people know as king brown snake. They're fairly heavy-bodied snakes, as snakes go. They belong to a group of snakes from a venom perspective known as black snakes, and a lot of people would be familiar with the red-bellied black snake, very common on the eastern seaboard. But venom-wise, they're not likely to inflict a bite 
that's life-threatening. There was a death in 1969, believed to have resulted from a common mulga snake bite, but um, well, the report is that the poor person was given the wrong antivenom. He received tiger snake antivenom instead of black snake, but there's been no death since then. My problem's my age. When you photograph these animals, reptiles being ectotherms, or cold-blooded is a more simplified term, but uh, their ability to move in that is retarded to some extent if you work with them at a lower temperature. Now, the Pilbara commonly, in the area where the accident occurred, commonly it'll be 32, 33 degrees at um, 10 o'clock in the morning and might get in excess of 40 degrees centigrade. So if you're going to photograph a snake that is venomous, or at any, any species of snake, you can't do it in the middle of the day. You've got to do it early. So I bagged the snake the night before. It's quite an attractive individual, and I thought I'll, I'll get a shot. But the, the other problem is the temperatures never get low enough to, to, to retard the snake's activity, and black snakes are fairly cold tolerant anyway. So anyway, I photographed a few uh, other animals that I'd collected the previous night so I could take them back and liberate them. So I'm just down the road from where I actually caught the snake. I took a photo and because it was 1.6 metres long, I like them coiled and compact rather than a string across the screen. Now, I mean, you want to be able to see the diagnostics, the characteristics that define it as that particular species. So I get them coiled. Now, it was too large for any of the hide boxes that I carry for that purpose. So I cut down a beer carton and I checked out a piece so I could let the snake go in, it coils up in there, I give it a couple of minutes to settle, you lift the box off and hopefully it retains that position long enough for you to get a photo. I lifted the, uh, the box off the snake, I took my first photo but she'd moved her head so I wasn't quite happy with the head position so I thought oh, I'll put her back under. But when I lifted it up I moved the box away and I had the snake resting on a hook, so I had some control of it. I took the hook off the snake to move the um, hide box into a better position. She whipped up and grabbed me on the finger. <gasps> took me totally by surprise. I was a little bit disappointed because I didn't have my mobile phone in my pocket. And Mulga snake has got a bad habit of hanging on and chewing. I would have just loved to get a photo of her chewing on my finger before I removed it from my hand. It was 1.6 metres in length. I mean, just typical female snakes. I mean, yeah, they're switched right on. Blokes are real gentlemen, but the females, and you can understand that, if a, fe a female snake dies, it has much more negative impact on the population. So often the females tend to be much more responsive and much more defensive in their behaviour. To get her off my finger, Keep in mind that the fangs of the snake are recurved back and if a snake's hanging on and the fangs are embedded in the tissue, you've got to get the snake by the head and push it forward to dislocate the, the fangs from the tissue and in doing so you're holding the snake over the top of its venom glands and potentially increasing the amount of venom that's being administered at the time of the bite. But uh, it put me off photograph photographing her. I, I chucked her in a bag and applied a pressure bandage and, and, and that's when I made a decision. I, 
I couldn't really radio for assistance. I'm going to sit down and record it. I recorded it, but I can't read my notes. I deteriorated that badly. I passed out for five hours, and I've been bitten previously by uh, this group of snake, and you generally lose control of your bow. So I, I, I made sure I had my undies off. My swag was in a shaded area of the vehicle, and I passed out for five hours. I like the fact that one of the first things that went through your head was, where is my notepad? Because I need to take some notes about what's just about to happen to my body. Probably is from a, most people's perspective, but one thing I've learned, if you don't record the information, it gets confused with every other bit of information you take in and over the next few days. So I tend to record everything today and... Uh, I mean, my writing's pretty horrible. It was a lot more horrible in those notes because I still can't decipher them you know, three years later. <laughs> and um, I carry a sat phone, so I could have communicated with the flying doctor, but I was starting a three-week run visiting sites. My vehicle's full of snakes, and if I radioed for the flying doctor... They would have landed on the highway as near as possible and recovered myself, but the poor old snakes in the high temperatures at the time would have all died in the vehicle. So I just made a judgment call and decided to weather the storm and record the data and uh, go from there. I just wanted to document from go to uh, end my experience and get it out there. Well, initially, yeah, there's local pain and uh, I've got the pressure bandage and I applied the pressure bandage. One problem there was there's often swelling associated with an envenomation and uh, I'd forgotten to take my wedding ring off. I don't wear it anymore after that case, by the way. <laughs> I hang it on a string in my vehicle. But uh, with the swelling, the ring was constricting the ability of the finger to swell and it looked like a dumbbell. And in the back of my vehicle where my... Well, I'd position myself on my seat. I carry a pair of pliers and scissors for odds and ends and that. And initially I tried to use the scissors to cut the ring off, but the scissors broke and I couldn't get the damn pliers between the tissue or the finger and, and, and the ring to, to chop it off. So I just had to leave it there. It, swelling at that rate must be incredibly uncomfortable blow up a finger at that rate, yeah, you know, in within, what, a minute or something, a couple of minutes? Oh, a few minutes, yeah. yeah. But uh, keep in mind, when I applied the pressure bandage, it was applied over the finger that had been envenomed and then up over the palm of my hand. So so the, the ring finger was free, but uh, I just couldn't get the... I couldn't cut the ring off. But keep in mind, there's other things going on in the body. I uh, started beautifully writing my notes, but... Um, I was getting physically ill and uh, I got to the stage where I couldn't move. I, I was very thirsty and uh, I couldn't access my car fridge because it's in the back seat of my vehicle and I couldn't get to the front of the vehicle without um, falling over. So I uh, leant into the vehicle and got a, a, a bottle of warm water out and drank that. I ended up taking the bandage off the hand because of the discomfort of swelling, mm. probably about an hour and 15 minutes later. And um, But I left the pressure bandage there. In fact, the pressure bandage stayed there even when I um, laid down on the swag. I didn't take the pressure bandage off the arm till I regained consciousness. 
about yeah. five hours afterwards. Passed out for five hours and I've got to ask, do you remember any dreams that you had? No, I don't remember anything. So it was just In fact, pitch when I woke black. up, I thought it was only a few minutes later. Just wow. pitch black. Um, initial reaction was surprise, you know, oh, beauty, I'm still with it. And, and I did feel much, much better in myself, physically better. And I was able to walk again, you know, I was still unsteady, but uh, using the vehicle as support to get around at the back of the vehicle. But um, I, I don't know, it's one of those states that sometimes people who are a bit weary find themselves in, where you don't know whether you're asleep or you're awake, but you, it's almost a euphoric state to be in. And um, when I awoke from that, it was, it was, it was dark, and I stayed there overnight. The next day I tried to move towards Headland, Port Headland, where my next job was, and uh, it took me a while to get there. I was still weak and I had to pull up a few times and boil the billy, but uh, eventually I got to my camp, which is east of Headland, and um, I was pretty good. There was a bit of pain, but um, I don't like taking medications, and uh, I thought I had a couple of, um, I think, Aspro or one of those pain-killing pills in the vehicle so I thought I'll, I only had a couple but I thought I'll wait till the next morning when I was doing my work and take those then to reduce the pain because I had to cart all my gear in um, into the training room and, you know, I didn't want didn't want to let on that it was a problem and I had the hand all bandaged up because black snakes have an anticoagulant property within the venom and uh, it kept weeping blood for several days afterwards and uh, I did my course all right. I had PPE on and the PPE is uh, long sleeves so that covered the bandaging and I had a bandage over the hand but um, when people asked because blood was oozing through it after a couple of hours into the course um, what had happened I explained that I um, and it was a lie that I dropped a rock on it but I couldn't bring myself to tell them I'd been bitten by a snake. <laughs> On Off Track, you're listening to Brian Bush recount the time that he was camped about 250 kilometres from Port Hedland and was bitten on the finger by a mulga snake, a king brown, and a big one too. She was 1.6 metres long and she got him good. So, instead of panicking, he got out his notepad and tried to take notes so that later he could write a paper all about the envenomation process and what happened. And on top of that, he says he even managed to take the snake in question back to where she was caught to release her there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, uh, yeah, I headed out to Headland, but where I re- 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 found that snake was only a couple of kilometres back towards Newman, and um, I took her back there and released her where I got her. And uh, did you and, say uh, any choice words of, of farewell as she trundled off into the no, distance? No. <laughs> No, I just said, yeah, I go about your business. You got the better of me, but uh, maybe next time I'll run into you, I'll get the better of you. <laughs> so did you have any long-lasting impacts from this particular bite? When I came home, I didn't tell the family. Uh, so it was a few weeks I get back home and um, 
it's obvious there's something wrong with my hand. It was pretty hard to hide. So very quickly you could see it was, yeah, the gangrene was setting in because it went black. And um, I think I took a photo six days in and the whole distal part of the finger was black and that's just necrotised tissue. I didn't have much chance of hiding from the wife at all because, I mean, she could smell me finger coming before she realised oh, what was going yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, decomposing flesh is quite quite sweet to smell. I mean, if there's entrails and that and microbes and in the gut of an organism, that's where the stench comes from, but decomposing flesh doesn't smell too bad. And, uh, I conceded and um, went to see see my doctor, and my doctor's an old bloke like me, so yeah, he's fairly pragmatic, and uh, he had a bit of a look at it, and he says, oh yeah, I've got to send you down to the surgeon and get his assessment, so no worries there, I went and seen the surgeon, and uh, the surgeon says, no worries, we can um, take the finger off right now, or you can do your paper, because I explained I wanted to document the natural resolution, <laughs> natural destruction and natural resolution and uh, the only thing he emphasised was infection you know, because by this stage you know, the fingers degloved the bones hanging out the end of it and, that. and uh, he, uh, he says you've got to just make sure it doesn't get infected because if the infection gets into the bone we can have a problem and one of the things I learnt the bone actually decomposes too I thought the bone would always be there so the bone decomposes and the end of it fell off eventually but um, I've still got it it's a gorgeous looking finger <laughs> but it's really good for scratching me bottom but it's funny shape now and I can't get it up my nostril anymore this is in part due to the actual venom of the mulga snake, isn't it? Because it has this necrotic uh, impact? That's correct, yeah. Not many of Australian snakes cause too much um, bite side injury. The bite side injury, is, I, I argue, is that's occurring today as a result of the efficacy of the, the pressure or compression of the tissue trapping the venom in concentrated form at the bite site. So Brian's saying that because he acted quickly and got the pressure bandage on, it caused such a localised issue in his finger. But it did save his life. So how long did, did it sort of go for until you let the surgeon step in? No, I didn't. The you didn't at all? stepped in. The bone's well, still hanging out finger, the end. Said, he'd, <laughs> he'd probably prefer to take off me head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because there's something wrong there, he'd probably say. I mean, a lot of people reckon I'm a bit strange, but I can't help that. I mean, my family will tell you I fell out the back of Dad's ute as a four-year-old and landed on my head. I've been fortunate, you know. I've, I've, I've walked a walk and uh, came out the other end, and, and now I've passed my free score and ten, so, you know, I'm laughing. You're still obviously so fond. Like, this... this this particular bite, and in fact none of the previous bites, seem to have dulled your enthusiasm for being a herpetologist in the field. No, 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 I, I accept it. Um, yeah, I know I've got to be more cautious. So, you know, I've got a, a wife and I've got you know, middle-aged daughters and that, and I've got grandchildren. Um, yeah, I know I've got to get smarter. And, and I, yeah, have, well, since then especially, I have been smarter. You know, I haven't taken another bite in the last few years. <laughs> and hopefully I won't take any more. Brian Bush attributes his calm actions when he was bitten to his experience. And also, he says that he had an advantage of knowing a lot more than the popular portrayal of Australia's venomous snakes in the media. 
as the most dangerous in the world. He says it's not as simple as that. One of the major problems with um, the media coverage, often the data is taken out of context. And although there was a 1979 study that showed that Australian snakes are very toxic in a laboratory on mice, the snake that ranked number one in its ability to kill mice has never killed a human being. But it's a mammal-specific feeding snake that immobilises its prey with target-specific venom. So when you use mice, you're going to be biased towards that particular snake. But it's the media's presentation and even people in the game We'll often talk about our snakes being the most venomous in the, uh, in the world, but they never qualify the information. 5,000 mice were euthanized to determine which Australian snake had the most toxic venom on mice, and um, we only looked at a couple from overseas. And as I keep explaining to people, the data is irrelevant. It's a laboratory ranking, and it would only be of um, relevance to a veterinarian that specialises in snake-bitten mice. And I don't think there's any of those out there. Well, I've never met one yet. Ha! Can you imagine the bill? That's it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you managed to, using your other hand, get the snake with its fangs off your finger. Surely there must have been an ah-shit moment. Well... <laughs> It's, it's hard to explain. I mean, I've had a couple of out-of-body experiences. Well, that's how I describe them after snake bite, where the body's shut down. And the way the doctors explain it, the body maintains that living status by shutting all those faculties that aren't required so it can sustain the heart, lungs particularly. And at that stage, the mind is so lucid. So everything's clear, but you might be able to shut your eyes. So your pupils are dilated, everything's glowing. And I've heard the paramedics working on me, but I've not been able to respond. So, I mean, dying dying doesn't worry me. I'm old, and if I do die, I'd prefer to, and the family hate it, but I would prefer to die out in the field where I can be recycled the natural way. I mean, I'm a wormy little bloke, so maybe the answer about the only thing that's going to really benefit, but uh, at least I'll be continuing on out there where I love it. Well, there's something poetic about that idea, to be sure. But the reality of it, dying of a snake bite in the desert, or anywhere, is probably not going to be a comfortable thing. So, if you get bitten by a snake, immobilise the bite site, wrap it up with a tight pressure bandage or a material, just what Brian did. You want to keep that venom localised at the bite site. Remain calm, but unlike Brian, do call for help. And if you want to read Brian's account of the snake bite, you can find the paper online. It's titled A Venomous Snake Bite Case in Australia Supports the Efficacy of Sutherland's Original 1979 Pressure Immobilisation First Aid. I'll link to it on the Off Track webpage. And if you've got a story like Brian's about a mishap that happened when you were out bushwalking or on an archaeological dig or doing fieldwork of any sort, I'd like to hear it. Email me offtrack at abc.net.au. And just a reminder that here on Off Track, we've got a new project. It's a test, actually, of an idea that I've had for years and years to give you long soundscapes from Australia. We've got so many unique and interesting sounds, and perhaps it's now more than ever that we need to stop 
and listen to nature. It's called Nature Track and it's five soundscapes. The shortest one is an hour. The longest is three hours and they're available in the Off Track podcast feed and also over on the ABC Science YouTube channel with a playlist called Nature Track. Let me know what you think of them, how you use them, and that'll help us decide whether these soundscapes for you to listen to are something that we should continue to provide. That's it for this week's episode of Off Track. But make sure you meet me here in full PPE because you just never know where I might take you next time, except that it's somewhere else. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.